I am Risa Williams, and this is the Motivation Mindset, where I talk to productive and successful people about how they manage their time. I'm the author of the Ultimate Time Management Toolkit, the Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit, and I'm a therapist and productivity coach in Los Angeles. Today, I'm talking to Ian Whitney. Ian is a classical composer and the general manager and producer for Music in the Region, which tours classical music to regional New South Wales in Australia. Today on the show, we'll be talking about using perspective taking as a tool when you're working on creative projects and how to step back and look at things from a higher level perspective. Welcome, Ian Whitney, to the show. I'm so happy to see you. Likewise. It, it's been a very long, long, long time. And you've been doing so much. You're a very busy person. You are a classical composer. You are a general manager and producer for something called Music in the Regions. And you're also getting your PhD. You're finishing your doctorate at the University of Sydney. That's amazing. So walk me through sort of the busiest day for you. I imagine it's when you're touring. Touring days are their own special sort of organized chaos. Um <laughs> You know, touring classical music, it's not touring um, rock bands, so they're, they're generally pretty well behaved and pretty So organized. no one's smashing up a hotel no room. No smashed TVs and <laughs> nothing <laughs> like that. Um, but the hard thing, I guess, for those days is for all, for me, all the other work doesn't stop. Yeah. And one, I guess, I, I loathe to apply the word benefit to the COVID pandemic is it's now so much more normalised to be doing stuff over Zoom or over the phone or having people in different places. So that makes touring work a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, but it can be hard when all the musicians are sort of not on holiday because they are working, but when they've got a day off somewhere to spend by the pool and mm-hmm. I'm having a budget meeting in a motel room. <laughs> and you're looking through the window watching them have fun as yeah. you're on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're managing, how many people... How many people are you managing when you take them on tour? It varies. The largest is only five, anything from two to five, um, plus then any other sort of drop-ins, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better term. So if board members come for bits of the tour or the politicians responsible for funding us, they also come under. Wow. I I love and care. (laughs) And we were talking before, I was saying it sounds like you are the person responsible for putting on the show, so to speak, right? It's kind of all on your shoulders. Yes, we're a very small and a very nimble organization. Mm-hmm. Um, we are very generously supported by the state government here in New South Wales, but we're very careful with the money. Um, the biggest expenditure has to be and should always be sort of artist costs, mm-hmm. which means that all the other things usually, particularly on the road, fall on my shoulders, Um, everything from ticketing to back of house to front of house to going back and forgetting someone's dry cleaning, you know, (laughs) all that kind of very boring, unglamorous stuff has to be done by someone, and that's usually me. Right. So walk me through how you keep your calm when all this chaos is happening around you, and you're in a location maybe that you don't know so well. Yeah. In terms of keeping my calm. Um, for me, the most important thing is actually just remembering what it is that I'm doing. You know, I'm not controlling a nuclear armament factory. No <laughs> one's going to, barring some absolute catastrophe, 
no one is going to die in my work <laughs> if something doesn't. What happen. would that look like? I like death by bassoon. I don't know. Yeah, death by bassoon. You know, bar, everyone talks about Australian wildlife barring someone, you know, doing something stupid and getting bitten by a snake. And but you know that if you're going down that sort of catastrophe line, where do you stop? But in a normal day, no one. The worst thing which can happen is I'm going to be embarrassed. Yeah. Um, and I find that actually really helpful because I think sometimes, particularly in the arts or any kind of work where it's passion work, if people do it, I mean, the pay is terrible. So people do it because they love it and they don't want to do anything else. We can sometimes inflate things right. to ridiculous proportions. And we're not curing cancer. No one, you know, we're not, <laughs> we're not paramedics. Um, you know, I do absolutely believe the work is important and vital and makes us better human beings and makes places nicer places to live. But keeping that perspective that normally if something goes wrong, the worst thing which is going to happen is I'm going to be embarrassed. I like how you're talking about perspective. And I know you said before we started that perspective taking is so important to you. And I think it's important to remember that as an artist. I don't know if you saw uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's TED Talk you know, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, but she has this TED Talk called Your Creative Genius, where she talks about how the Renaissance kind of changed the way artists saw themselves. Because before the Renaissance, there was this idea that there were muses and like inspiration was coming from beyond. And then after the Renaissance, people kind of decided that man was at the center of the universe and that we are in charge of being these creative geniuses. And it changed the way people saw the artistic process as this tortured, you know, thing mm. that we have to undergo to become, to create these miracles. And she suggests maybe going back to the old way of thinking that sometimes it flows through you and sometimes it doesn't is a more healthy way to go about it. And I've always liked that talk because it, it does give you that perspective in a way that we do tend to get our egos too involved in the process sometimes. As artists. Yeah. And I mean, for me, being also a composer, I've, I mean, the fact that I've now gone off and got a doctorate kind of haven't got it yet, still doing it, undermines this whole <laughs> point. But I think I missed something about the idea when, you know, the composer was just another tradesman in the palace, um, yeah. you know, sort of on par with having a good cook. You had a good composer. Mm -hmm. And there was none of this sort of sitting around waiting for inspiration. It was, well, there has to be a cantata by Sunday, whether whether you feel inspired or not. Part of me misses that sort of aspect. Right. Also, it was like a steady paycheck. You just had to keep yeah. the things coming and you were fine, right? You just kept it going. And there wasn't, and I think because it was pre-recording, it was because sort of cheap printing, you weren't sitting down to write masterpieces. You were sitting down because you just had to write. And if it was, even the idea that other people would play or listen to it would have been quite foreign. So yeah. I, I do miss parts of that. But then there's lots of other good things which have modernized since, you know, <laughs> the Baroque period. Right. Like plumbing. <laughs> plumbing, <laughs> anesthetic, penicillin, <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about your creative process and how you navigate that. For creative work or otherwise, I cannot work without a deadline. I need a deadline and it needs to be a real deadline. I can't sort of trick myself into setting one artificially. It doesn't work. Our brains are uh, and, tricky like that, right? Yeah. They know when it's a fake deadline. Absolutely. And it's really interesting 
doing the thesis over the past few years, if you were looking out in, you would think that, oh, the pandemic where I was underemployed, I should have just bashed through that. I could do it all from home. Everything's online. I should have just bashed out that thesis and been done. But I did far more work on the thesis um, where I also had a very busy and time-consuming full-time job. And yeah. so there, there is an element of, you know, if you want something done, ask a busy person. Yeah. Um, because I... I need to have that kind of, well, if it doesn't happen now, it's not going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, that's a problem. Do you think some that of that of is that the momentum's already going? So we're already in a focused state from other things we're doing. And it's just yes. easier to transfer that focus over. I find yeah. that a lot with writers too. They tell me when they finally get a break or they go on sabbatical or they have all this paid time off, they don't get as much done as they thought they were going to in their imaginations when they picture it having all this time. It's almost too oh, much time. It, it feels absolutely. endless, like you could just put it off forever. It was always, if I didn't want to work on my thesis, I said, oh, I can do it Thursday, I can do it Friday. Oh, no, I'll have a, oh, I won't do it today because it's the weekend, even though I hadn't really done anything in the five <laughs> preceding days. Whereas now it's like I have three hours on Sunday. Yeah. It just, it just has to happen now and it will happen. Right. Um, and I am one of those people who much prefers to work in short explosive bursts and sort of flit around between things. So having going from sort of trying to do budget work to composing for an hour and then going and getting on the phone, jumping between those actually works really well for me. It's kind of all about learning your own process and then learning to work with what works best for you time-wise and mental energy-wise. I like what you're saying about bursts. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know I naturally work in bursts. I kind of move quickly. And when I sit down to write, it's like a burst. And then I move on to the next thing, like you said. And you just learn that about yourself. And you learn to kind of work around your own patterns. Oh, yeah. And I think there was a very liberating moment when I realized that actually that was the way I work because I think there is maybe not so much now after so much working from home and everything but for a long time particularly at the beginning of my career there was this sort of unspoken culture that work was sustained steady focus from 9am to 5pm with one hour for lunch yeah and that's what I was trying to sort of round peg square hole myself into a particular way of working um, and when I found that actually there are other ways to work, and when I had managers who recognized how they got the best work out of me, that was quite that was quite a liberating feeling. I completely agree that I lockdown changed that for a lot of people. We were stuck in a hustle culture that mm. we all sort of bought into, where we're just supposed to sit down and it's a work day and we got to sit there and you know grind things through. And now people are saying, why? Why do we have to do it like that? If I can get as much mm. done in bursts or working at odd times that may not suit other people, what's the difference as long as I'm productive, right? Yeah, and a couple of years ago, I did leave a full-time job because I tend to be quite efficient in how I work. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a member of the senior leadership team at this organization who seem to take that almost as a personal slight. Um, and it was it was just bad luck, I guess. But every time they walked past my desk, it looked like I was mucking around on Twitter or reading the news um, because that was that kind of explosive burst approach. Um, you know, if you expect me to sit at a desk between nine and five, five days a week. Yeah. 
my the nature of the way I work is I'm going to get a whole lot done as soon as I sit down because I'm kind of like, right, let's let's get going, let's get into it. <laughs> and then I hit a bit of a trough for a bit and then, you know, and it, I, it was just bad luck that this person probably kept walking past whenever I was in little troughs. Um, but it just became untenable because it was getting to the point where I felt like I was having to stare at made-up spreadsheets to look like I was <laughs> doing something. When I'd actually done everything yeah. you know, <laughs> for that day by 11 a.m., um, and so it was sort of that got a bit annoying. For those of us who like working at home, I think that's the advantage, right? That you can finish and then you can drift off and do other things. But you did the totally. amount of work you had to do for that day. You just did it really quickly. Yes. I mean, it also helps that now I'm the boss. Yeah. And that's been really interesting doing the tours. And it's something touring musicians um, get very adept at is carving that time out for mm-hmm. yourself because our tours are 10 days, which by a lot of standards of touring is actually really short, um, but it is quite long for classical music. And for, you know, to be cooped up with people for 10 days is yeah. a lot when you're not at home, um, you know, the, and it's interesting seeing how they all do it differently because you do have that thing, oh, I really don't want to talk to anyone tonight, but everyone kind of gets it. Everyone knows how to sort of look after themselves and, yeah. you know, I'm going to, get a grotty pizza and watch TV and not talk to anyone for the next 12 hours. And that it's nice that touring musicians kind of understand that and a bit of a head of, I guess, an office culture where you're expected to be on all the time. Yeah. So we've been talking about perspective. Can you give me some other ways people can use perspective taking as a tool? I think perspective for me, I mean, apart from the fact that Yes, it's helpful, unless you are a paediatric ICU nurse, in case, which case, please ignore all of this. I think the perspective both of the actual consequences, not the nightmarish, hyperinflated, this is the end of, you know, the end of my career if this goes badly, but what are the actual consequences of things is really helpful. And so that investigate might be, it a little more is what you're saying. Ask yourself yeah. questions. What are the real consequences? Because they're often, I think, not as bad as we can think they're going to be lying awake at two in the morning. Right. So let's walk through some scenarios. And then you can give me some examples of questions we might ask ourselves to tease out the perspective. So for instance, let's say you have to give a presentation, you mess up a line, lose train of thought, everybody's staring at you in the room. Walk me through perspective taking questions we could ask ourselves. Sure. Well, for me, that that's something because I've done um, academic lecturing. Yeah. That's something which has happened to me so many times. And every uh, other professor <laughs> where we yeah. lose our train of thought <laughs> in the middle of a lecture. The worst which is going to happen is that it's embarrassing. Yeah. So um, you'd say, what's the worst that could happen? Well, I feel really embarrassed and uncomfortable right now. I usually own it. If it's the right sort of environment, if it's not a super, form, super formal presentation, I would usually just own it and say, I've totally lost my train of thought um, because it's probably happened to everyone else in the room. If it's a more formal presentation, when we're public speaking, we can get very scared of silence when actually stopping for a moment is really good for an audience to kind of take stock and think. Um, And I think when you're standing up during a presentation, silences feel much longer than they actually are because you're kind of mentally freaking out. 
because <laughs> your slides are in the wrong order or something. And when we mentally freak out and we're talking really fast, we're not aware that people's listening ability has not sped up to match us. Yeah. So the words are hitting them and they're processing it and you're throwing all these figures and statistics at them and they're trying to imagine it, but we've already raced forward because we're nervous. Yeah. Right? And I suppose, uh, I guess to give a pithy one-word answer to that example, um, my advice would just be to stop. Yeah. And to stop. And then what you do after the stop is sort of context-specific. In a sort of a more casual and formal or friendly presentation, I would just own it. And so yeah. I just need to, I've lost my train of thought. I've been having such a good time over this. I've kind of diverged. Just give me a second. In a more formal presentation, um, I would actually just stop and this is where a glass of water is very helpful. <laughs> you know, go for a nice long sip of water while you gather your thoughts or reorder the slides or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. it's some, And this is something, I guess, which comes with a bit of experience, but having some kind of easy back pocket activity to pull out is re- if you get really right. stuck. Having plan B. Right? Yeah. It's As like, oh, well, why don't you... Why don't you turn to the person beside you and just sort of discuss that for a couple of minutes? And I'd be interested to hear what you think. Yeah. So to all the students out there listening, sometimes that's what's <laughs> happening when your professor just decides to have discussion time. Yeah. They've, they've forgotten something. Breakout room. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a tool in my last book called The Music Motivator, which I've been talking to people on the show about. And we had a bunch of participants come and try it out which is basically the idea based on making a brain association from behavioral therapy that you can take a song. And if you play the same song over and over again, and you associate it with a task, we can kind of motivate ourselves to do the task using that particular song. So do you have any stories about this? Or do you have any music you personally use in that way, like a ritual to get ready to do something? I don't. As a ritual, no, it's a really interesting idea, actually. I should try it. I mean, yeah. it's a shame I've now finished all the writing of the thesis because that would have been the perfect, yeah. perfect experiment. I especially um, use it with things that are hard for me to get started doing because the yeah. music tricks me. If it's upbeat and fun or inspiring in some way, it tricks me into getting in the mode to do it. Particularly when I'm doing complicated work, um, which for me is usually related to finance, or if I have to write something a bit complicated, I do actually find having the radio on helpful. Um, yeah. And we have this digital-only radio station run by one of the national broadcasters um, called Ch- SBS Chill, and it's music I would never listen to normally. It's that chill sort of Muzaki uh-huh. stuff. YouTube has a million playlists of them. Uh, we have um, the same national broadcast, SBS, also run a digital station for Asian pop and Indian pop music. Oh, I love that. And so I sometimes put those on as well. And be, Or even better yet, and this is one of the amazing things with the internet, just picking a random radio station as sound, I think it's called Soundgarden, uh-huh. which tunes you into some. And it it's sort of the right level of noise that it, it does do that thing where it takes the edge off slightly. You don't get caught up in, I guess, the monotony or the, I don't know what. Yeah. You're getting caught up in, but it's also not distracting because you can't you can't grab hold of it. You can't understand what they're talking about. Yeah, because sometimes it, when we like play that. our regular playlist, 
we associate it too much with other memories. And it's so easy as an artist, Mm. especially if you're sensitive, to go down a rabbit hole of like, oh, I remember this from college, or I remember this time so-and-so played this. And then you've lost your concentration. Like if we're using this to motivate us to do a task, we're now drifting off into reverie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if it's English language radio or classical music radio, because that obviously is my background, the temptation is too strong to try and, if I hear something, I'm like, oh, what's that? I then need to go out and you find out Google what it. it is. Yeah, I do Whereas too. <laughs> if it's, you know, some radio set, random radio station from Kuala Lumpur, I, I don't even know where to start. You know, like, <laughs> a song I like. Right. I don't, How I mean, would you find that song? Yeah. No. So yeah. I, I quite like a bit of foreign language radio for that sort of thing. All right. So if you had to pick a song that would be your anthem to do a specific task this week, what would it be? Oh, that's and what would the task be that you're avoiding? Um, I have a big finance meeting this week, which requires me to really kind of pop the hood of the budget, which is one of the things <laughs> I hate doing. Yeah. Um, what would get you upbeat and inspired <laughs> to do your financial spreadsheet? Oh, okay. There is a piece of music. Okay. It's... um. It's by a Russian composer in the 1950s, and it was from a movie. And I am, <laughs> it's called Time Forward, time, comma, forward, exclamation mark. I love that this just popped into your head. <laughs> like, it is, where did this come from? <laughs> it is that very 1950s Cold War uh-huh. um, propulsion energetic, (laughs) unapologetic. It just kind of launches, launches you off. And you have to do that spreadsheet. You You have have no choice. You have to do it. (laughs) You have to. (laughs) You have to finish it by the end of the song or else. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So if you wouldn't mind, I would love to hear if this works for you and maybe you can join me again and tell me if it did because we're doing a whole episode where I'm having people try it out and I just would love to hear if it actually (laughs) worked for somebody who's a musician. My challenge is going to be finding the piece of music. That's going to be the problem. And then you have to do it every time you do the financial spreadsheet. I know. That's That's the hard part. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I always have so much fun talking to you. Is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with as a piece of advice for getting in a motivated mindset? Um, I would, it's that perspective thing. It's both the perspective of why are you doing it? Um, and that doesn't need to be particularly grand. It can be, I'm doing it because I want to pay my rent or send my kids to school or whatever it is. Um, so we just ask ourselves, why am I doing this thing? Why am I doing it? And that's the perspective. Um, but why am I doing it? And I guess, you know, this is a bit negative, but you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? Right. And for a lot of us, unless, you know, you're a cardiologist or something, um, it's probably not as bad as we think. It's not as bad as we think. I like that. All right. Well, (laughs) thanks so much for joining me. I hope you had fun. I had a lot of fun talking to you today. Thank you. To find out more about tools discussed on the show, please visit theultimatetoolkitbooks.com and be sure to check out my upcoming book, The Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit. If you'd like to learn more about upcoming episodes, please visit risawilliams.com and click on podcast. Here you can find out about upcoming guest interviews, time lab, brain boost, and time toolkit segments of the show. If you're enjoying all these tools you're hearing on the show, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. 
I'm Risa Williams, and we're out of time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.